0: I want to talk to you today about one of the parables of Jesus. If you want to turn in your Bibles, it's from Matthew chapter 13, but the words will be on the screens as well to help you. And Jesus taught in parables, but he took everyday, ordinary moments of life to illustrate extraordinary truths, principles that would be worthwhile for those who heard and listened. And there were so many examples of that. And the one today I want to talk to you about is the parable of the sower. And in the culture in which Jesus grew up and the landscape of his day, farming was something people saw and understood. And whether they had their own small holding or whether the larger farm settings, they were very familiar scenes to Jesus and to those who listened to him. And I'm going to read the first nine verses, which is the essence of the parable that Jesus tells and then we'll have a look at it together. Verse 1 of Matthew 13. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across his field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died." Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60 and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. I find that final phrase of Jesus so interesting. "Anybody with ears to hear should listen. And understand we all have ears to hear mine is not so good these days it used to be but are our ears listening to Jesus because many people heard the things he said but clearly not all of them followed the things he taught because he taught great crowds but we know when he came to the day of Pentecost 120 people were gathered as disciples of Jesus now, this parable is a young preacher's delight, and I'm a young preacher, so it's my delight, but there you go. But it's a, a preacher's delight because already there are three points, and they all begin with the same letter, which is fantastic. We, we see the sower, we see the seed, and we see the soil. So that's very simple to, to frame that one as a preacher. I want to focus in on just the first couple and then spend the rest of my two hours talking to you. Oh, just check in. I'm going to hear a few laughs, I know you heard it and listening. But just spend the rest of the time, but particularly focusing on the soil, because this is what I want you to get today. It's all about good soil. Let's do it in a real good American way. Say it back to me with me. It's all about good soil. Glad you lot are awake. They're not, but you are, so that's good enough for me. And so Jesus talks about the sower, And he says in the early part of the parable, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. Well, that's not particularly unusual. That's what farmers do. They sow seeds, especially if the nature of their farming is arable as opposed to livestock or cattle or or other things. But what's important is not that the farmer is sowing the seeds, but what he's intentionally doing, he's actually sowing the potential of a harvest, He's not just scattering seeds to fill his time and just leaving them there, but he's intentionally scattering the seed because he anticipates that in a few months' time the seed will have produced a harvest, and his livelihood is dependent upon the crop that he brings in from planting those seeds. And he knows that there are seasons, certainly in our part of the world, here in the northern hemisphere, we have four seasons, though it depends. In Britain, whether we have wet, wet, wetter and wet, I'm not sure. But we had not a bad year, really. But we're in the season of autumn and things are beginning to die off. And then we head into winter where it's cold. And last year it was particularly cold and all of that. And then we can't wait for spring when we see the first shoots of life breaking out of the ground. And then the summer, which we had a great one this year, to enjoy all of that. But we need to understand that seasons are cyclical they kind of repetitive each year, but actually in the order of God, they're taking us somewhere. They're periods of creative transformation, and the farmer knows that autumn and winter are as important as spring and summer. Moments for the ground to rest and to rejuvenate itself and its nutrients and to be ready to receive new seed as the farmer sows. And so this is quite normal to see what he's doing but there's a really interesting thought as amongst it all and that is the fact that the farmer takes some of the seed from last year's harvest to plant the seed for this year's harvest. In other words the things that God is doing in your life at the moment are the seed of what God will be doing in your life in the future and this may be a difficult time and you recognize God is at work but hey folks the fruit of now will help you believe God for fruit in years to come. Whatever you're going through, whatever season you're in, whatever situation, it is not wasted. I remember speaking on this a little while ago, and God spoke to me and showed me that picture of when you might walk through a forest, and there may be some trees with fruit, and you, you see a piece of fruit that's fallen to the ground, and it's rotten. But the reality is even the seed in rotten fruit has the potential to bring life. And I just sense that might be for somebody here. You feel your life, I'm just, I didn't say that in the first service, your life feels pretty rotten. But God says within you is the seed of a life that if you would allow him to, he could bring out of you more than you ever imagined possible in your life. As rotten as you feel, the seed is the future, not the flesh. And I just... Wanted to know today that God is looking for a harvest from our life. John 15, 16. Jesus says, you did not choose me. I chose you. And I chose you that you would bear much fruit, fruit that will last. And for all of us who are following after Jesus. We've given our lives to him and he wants to bring something great. Something significant. Something of influence for other people's world out of your life and my life. God is looking for fruitfulness. When the Apostle Paul writes his letter that we know is the book of Galatians, he says there in chapter 6, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good at just the right time. We will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. The farmer goes out every year and every year he scatters the seed and he's hoping Maybe even praying that I get a good harvest. He's scattering it continually, even if there's a bad winter. Even if we have a wet summer, he's planting the seed. He doesn't give up farming after four bad seasons. Just keeps on. And I think God is wanting to say maybe to some of us, you just need to keep on letting God sow into your life through good season and bad season what he's doing. But let's think for a moment or two about the seed, because Jesus talks about it. He talks about how the farmer scatters the seed across the field. It sounds quite indiscriminate. It doesn't sound particularly as if the farmer is going and placing seeds in rows in a particularly you know, a delicate fashion. He's quite indiscriminate, just scatters the seed. And that seed has the power of life within it, as does all seed. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, when we see the story of God creating the order in which we live now, we see that God spoke certain things into being. And in verse 11, God says, let the land sprout with vegetation, every sort of seed-bearing plant. Did you hear that? And trees that grow seed-bearing fruit. These seeds will then produce the kind of plants and trees from which they came, and this is what happened. Right back at the very beginning, the first plants that God planted, when God the farmer planted a garden that we know as Eden, he didn't just plant it for Adam's lifetime, he planted it for us generations later. He planted it with the capacity to keep on producing fruit, keep on producing seed-bearing fruit, And you need to know, and I need to know, that as we walk with Jesus, our lives are not just about me. It's not just about the fruit that I can live in. Every time God blesses me, there is the seed within what God has blessed me with for somebody else. The ability to bless somebody else's life. And we live in a world which is a gather-to world, which is a me world, which is defined by the letter I, iPod, iPhone, iMac, And it's all about gathering to me. But God says, I want you to be people, a culture, a generation of people that the fruit of your life will produce blessing for others. And that continual sense that as a generation here in the United Kingdom in the 21st century, we're not just here for us. We're not just in church this morning for us. We're in church this morning for the people we'll, we'll work next to this week and live next to and cross paths with that we haven't seen before and connect with on social media because the fruit of our lives can be something for them. That's the power of seed. Robert Shuller, who's a, a very old kind of American televangelist, one of the original televangelists, he says that any fool knows how many seeds there are in an apple. But only God knows how many apples there are in a seed. Because if I asked you the rhetorical question, what is the fruit of an apple? You might be clever enough to say an apple tree. But you'd be slightly mistaken. The fruit of an apple is not an apple tree. The fruit of an apple is an orchard. Because within every apple, there might be four, five, six pips. Within every one apple is the potential for six apple trees. Within every one apple is the potential for dozens upon dozens of apples. Somewhere, somebody once planted an apple tree. And then when the fruit came, they planted another one. And years later, kids went scrumping in the orchards that they were planted. You see, what God does in our lives has greater potential beyond our lives. God wants to do something in you and me that's bigger than us, bigger than anything. He took those 12 apostles and the other disciples around them and he planted a church in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And today across this planet, as many as 3 billion people own the name of Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour because of one seed that was replanted and replanted and replanted. If you take one seed of wheat and you plant it in the ground, it will produce a stem of wheat with up to five heads on it. And each head will have as many as 40 kernels of wheat. So one seed of wheat produces the potential for 200 other wheat plants. And that's what God does. Remember the story of the talents. The guy who buried his talent comes back says, I, I knew you were a master who harvests where you haven't sown. What was he saying? saying you are the kind of God who produces from what you have bigger than anybody can imagine. And so Jesus tells us what this seed is. And you may be a lover of Christian television and you've heard those preachers tell you if you plant a seed of $50 into their ministry, they'll send you a CD that cost them $1 to create, and what a great deal you've got. Well, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about because he says that the seed is the message about the kingdom. So what is God wanting to plant in our lives as he scatters the seed? He's wanting to plant his kingdom. Which friends is both about his rule and his reign, as well as his blessings. You cannot have the rule of God without the the, the, cannot have the blessings of God without the rule of God. It doesn't work like that. Seek first the kingdom of God, Matthew six thirty three, and His righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. Let God plant His rule in your lives, and the blessings flow as a result of that. And God wants to plant his kingdom in us so that his kingdom life grows and his kingdom is about life and peace and joy and hope. In fact, Paul, when he writes to the church in Rome, says in Romans 14 that the kingdom of God is not a matter of what you eat and drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Anybody up for a bit more peace and goodness and joy in the Holy Spirit? Because I certainly want that kind of fruit. The fruit that Paul says in Galatians 5 is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. And he says you can have as much as you want. The NRV says against such things there is no law. You can have as much of the fruit of God as you want. But it starts with the rule of God in our hearts. The kingdom of God within us. And that's what Jesus is scattering in your life and my life today. That's what he's sending in our direction. But I want to talk about the soil Lots what could be said about the seed, it's a huge theme. But I want to nail it really in terms of what does the soil need to look like to actually make the most of the seed of God's potential in us and through us. And when we look at the soil in this particular story, we find it fell in four different locations. Some fell on the footpath, some on the rocky places, some among thorns, but some on fertile soil, four locations. But in three of those locations, there was no harvest. Nothing came of the seed in three of those four locations. And it was all to do with the soil. Because in one, on the footpath, there was no soil. In the second, on the rocky places, there was just a little bit of soil. And in the third, among the thorns, there was infected soil. And here's what I believe Jesus is saying. Here's what I'd love you to be able to take home and live out in this week ahead. And that is this, that the potential of the seed is dependent on the quality of the soil. The potential of the seed is dependent on the quality of the soil. And that soil is you and me. It's our hearts and lives. It's our soul. It's our inner person. We are more than the people we see sitting alongside of us. We are eternal beings living in physical bodies. We are a soul. We have emotions. We have thoughts, a whole range of them throughout the course of any one day. And as a result of our thoughts and our emotions, we make choices in life. That's the soul. We live out of that place. It's like, a, 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 you know, anybody else a fan, a fan of the great British Bake Off? Oh, thank you, Andy, for responding there. You take a mixing bowl, what you put in will determine what comes out. And it's like our lives are a mixing bowl of our emotions and our thoughts, and that's our soul, and that's the soil where the seed of God is being planted. That's where God is trying to live and rule and reign in the very depths of who we are. And I think there's a few things Jesus tells us that should be the condition of the soil Of our souls. And the first one is this that it should be soft, not hard. He tells us that some seed fell on a footpath and the birds came and ate them. And some folks, and maybe it's one of you, maybe what I'm saying really hits you today, but some people are resistant to God. They've hardened themselves off to God. And in most cases, in my experience, it's not a choice, it's as a result of the effects of life, the pains the disappointments, the hurts of life. It's like they once were a tender soul. They once were soft soil for the things of God. But there have been people with heavy boots of criticism and heavy boots of judgmentalism and heavy boots of accusation and heavy boots of all kinds of things have trodden down the soil of their hearts. It's become hardened. Just like you walk along soft soil, you in your garden and choose a patch, you keep walking along it long enough it will become hard, it will compress. And some of our hearts have compressed into hard emotions, into negative emotions such as resentment and unforgiveness and anger and bitterness and jealousy and disappointment. So when God is scattering, as he is this morning and at other great intervals in our lives, not just Sundays, And he's scattering the seed of his kingdom, his life and his joy and his hope and his peace and his goodness. In our direction, it just hits a hard surface. Of course, the danger of that is it just becomes a prime target for the enemy. And Jesus talks about the birds that came along and they they stole the seed. But on another occasion, he tells us that the thief, talking about Satan, our enemy, the thief comes to kill To steal and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it in all its fullness. So the thief is looking for hard hearts. He's looking for hearts that resist God, that maybe go through the motions of church. I've done that, folks. I'll be really honest with you. I have nothing to lose, nothing to gain from it. I have preached with a hard heart. I have led worship with a hard heart. I've been struggling in areas of my life and I've just gone through the motions Of over 30 years I've been a Christian leader and there have been moments, not every year thankfully, not all of those 30 years, but there have been moments where things have happened, I've been disappointed, I've been hurt, I've struggled and there's been a hardness and you plough on through. God speaks to the children of Israel in the Old Testament through the prophet Hosea in Hosea 10. He says to him, plough up the unplowed ground for it's time to seek the Lord till he comes and showers righteousness upon you. And for some of us, maybe God is just wanting to plough up that soil of our lives and create a fresh sense of tenderness to him. And I would just say to you today, if that's you, you can receive some prayer at the end, which is great. But this week, what is probably even greater than that is you can ask the Holy Spirit just to break up the hardness of your soul, deal with the disappointment and all those negative emotions. And he will. And then Jesus says that this soil of our souls should be deep, not shallow. Some of the seed fell on soil and it kind of sprang a root, but the soil wasn't deep enough. And somehow it just wilted under the hot sun. And I think sometimes for some of us folks, our faith is so fickle and temperamental. It's kind of built around our emotions. So if today's a good day, because Dan we like that new song Dan that's a good day or even better we had a good oldie there Jesus holy anointed one that's a good day or if my circumstances and the things around me are really good then I, then I can sing and I can lift my hands and I can acknowledge God but hey you don't know Stuart what I'm going through and you know it's a bit hard of you to ask that I would just praise God in this moment and the reality is if our roots do not go down deep enough we're going to be blown by every kind of wind of situation and circumstance. And life will throw its chaotic, painful, challenging moments. Of that we can be sure. And Jesus is talking here about an instability that didn't allow the harvest to take root. Because it's the root system of a plant that gives it its stability. It's the roots that have gone down, they've found some water, beneath the surface there, providing some strength so that, yes, the branch, the tree, the plant, the bush may sway, but the depth of the root gives stability whatever the external conditions. I wonder if I gave you a tape measure and asked you to measure the height of a tree. I'm guessing that what most of us would do is place the beginning point of the tape measure just where the trunk meets the ground. And we measure to the top of the tree, we'd say it's X feet high. But actually, that is not the height of the tree. If you want to measure the height of a tree, you've got to find the furthest root. And you've got to measure right from that piece. And I just think there are some of us, on the outside, there are some people who are bright and glorious. And 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 everybody thinks they're just wonderful and strong in their faith. But the root system is actually quite... Sure, and there's some folks here, we don't flower very often. I don't flower very often these days at my age. But we don't flower very often, but we've got some deep roots. And I've met some men and women in God who've walked with the Lord for years. And they can't jump and dance and throw their hands in the air as often these days. But there's some deep roots there. And they've stood strong and through all kinds of challenges. They're the kind of people I want to know about how did they get their root system to grow that deep. And I tend to find there are men and women who say, well, I've leaned into Jesus and I've known what it is to spend time with him. And I've known what it is to submit my heart and will to God's word and his spirit in me. And all of us can think of somebody just like that. Jesus used another metaphor, another picture. He talks about two guys who were building houses and one went and built it on the beach. And he just built it up. But another guy in the New Living Translation in Luke, he says, he dug down deep. Dug down deep. And the depth of the foundation is what creates the stability of the building. If you want to build a skyscraper, you're going to have to build deep foundations. You have to pile those foundations down. Because if you want to do something great for God, you're going to have to go deeper with him. You're going to have to have deep foundations. And in those, sometimes we see those huge skyscrapers think, goodness me, how does the wind not knock them over? It's not the above ground construction, it's the below ground foundations. And Jesus says he wants hearts that run deep. And I wonder if your devotion and commitment to God run deep, or does it just evaporate the moment a challenge comes along? Put the Bible to one side, I'm not going to church on Sunday, I'm not going to life group, I'm not going to think, i oh, will just, God, why, why, why me, why me, why? There's a guy called Habakkuk in the Old Testament. It's just a very small book of three chapters. In the first couple of chapters, he just keeps asking God questions. Why? Why are the, the unrighteous seeming to do better than me? Anybody else thought that? Why do they get a pay rise? Why are they doing better? Why can they afford a conservatory and we can't? Why can they go on holiday to Tunisia and we can't get even to Jolly Teenmouth or something? And he gets to chapter 3. And something turns in his heart at the end of chapter, he says this, you know, though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, though the olive crop fails and there's no vats, no wine in the vats, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. He goes on to say, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He takes me onto the high places. What Habakkuk found out was the questions will not determine the depth of your faith. Sometimes you have to believe Sometimes you have to hold on. Sometimes you just have to trust. It's like the disciples in the boat. The boat is being tossed to and fro on a storm and they say to Jesus, Master, don't you care if we drown? But Jesus had already said, let's go to the other side. He'd already said it. He was not going to swim. He was going to sail. But it was about sometimes in those moments the depth of our faith determines the strength of our conviction. And the final thing I want you to see is about oh, two more things. I've even got ahead of myself. Two more things. Number one, they need to be healthy, not infected. This soil needs to be healthy, not infected. Because some of the seed fell amongst thorns and which grew up and choked the tender plants. And I wonder what is it that clutters your life so that it chokes your devotion. Somehow you've, you've started to grow in the things of God. You may have a really stable faith and you may have had seasons of fruitfulness. But those jolly weeds just keep growing up. Those things around your life, those Negative things, those irritating things, those things you've given room to around you. Those relationships that have grown. And you know that the Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. And you know that somehow there are some things sometimes you don't need to be plugging into. Those things that form part of your private habits, your secret habits, your secret thought processes and actions and the way you live. And every now and again, they just come back and they keep coming back. Because that's what weeds do. They're negative and destructive things that just keep on growing around us. We will never be rid of them. Wouldn't it be wonderful if when the winter is over and the spring starts to come and you green-fingered gardeners, of which I'm not part of that gang, I'm sorry to say, and you head out into your gardens, you start to weed and turn over the sod, and you're really excited and the daffodils are pushing through and the crocuses are pushing through. And you feel this is going to be a great season. Wouldn't it be great if you could sit back with a cup of tea and a digestive biscuit? Just feeling hungry at the moment, excuse me. If you could just sit back and think, that's it for the rest of the year. The weeding is done. But you're back out there next Saturday morning and you're thinking, goodness sake, the weeds are back. And you have to tend your garden. You have to look after it. And your soul is no different living in this life and living in this world and with all the environment we live in, we are constantly going to be surrounded by things that are trying to drag down the fruitfulness of our hearts and our lives. And Jesus says that the product of those weeds was that these seeds produce no fruit. And I want to know how, ask you how healthy is your soul? How well do you tend to your soul? Over the summer when it was a slightly quieter period from the travel that I tend to do a lot of preaching in various churches most weeks just decided it was a good time to do a little bit of an inventory of my soul it was a good time but it wasn't all as positive an experience as you realize there are some things I needed to navigate through and I read some books and I spent a bit more time just asking the Lord to do an inventory of my soul and and as we did an inventory we we put on the shelves those good things but then I recognize there's other stuff I've got to deal with that Lord I can't let that grow in my heart I can't let that attitude, I can't let that feeling grow in me because it will just suffocate and choke out the life that you're trying to bring. Paul would say to the church in Rome, don't copy the behaviour and custom, customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So we are at the last point. If you could put your tray tables up, put your belt on, turn off your, those of you flown know what I'm talking about. And that is that Jesus is saying that your life should be, the soil of your life should be fertile, not infertile. Still other seed fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60 and even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Far more than had been planted because that's always the desire of the farmer. That there'd be exponential growth, that the potential of the seed would be realised That somehow God can take the smallness of our lives and bring greater proportions out of it. Think of those great men and women of God. We could, their names roll off the tongue, Wesley and Whitfield and Billy Graham and Gladys Aylward and all those great people and, and Hudson Taylor and the men and women God's used greatly who started out by just presenting a life to God, kept the soil of their soul well. Amanda and I watched on YouTube just afterwards the funeral of Billy Graham. It was a moving experience. But there's a man who got almost to 100. And from what I could see, and I'm a long way away, he kept his soil, the soil of his soul right. They couldn't pin a thing on him. God used him greatly. And there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people walking with Jesus today because of one soul that was soft enough and deep enough to receive the seed of God. One of my favourite Bible verses as I begin to wrap up comes from Ephesians 3.20 when it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And here's the question, folks. Is your soul in good enough condition... That God could plant something small in it, but reap something great. Because it's all about good soil. The seed is the same. I was reflecting um, at the end of our first service just earlier that when I was a little kid, we did this most amazing scientific experiment in school. It was stunning. We were given in junior school a plastic strawberry punnet, cotton wool, water and cress seeds as some people over 50 like me here maybe they're still doing it in school I don't know and we put the cotton wool in the strawberry plastic punnet and we put water on and dropped the seeds on and took it home to mum and said hey mummy look what I've got and mummy put it on the windowsill in the kitchen and believe it or not within a couple of days these shoots sprouted you see the reality is there's nothing wrong with God's seed nothing wrong when God speaks into our lives it has potential he merely said let there be and planets came into being at the mere speak of his word animals and seas and mountains and trees and galaxies beyond our imagination his word his seed is powerful enough the question is the quality of where it lands and if you can allow your heart to be tender, to run deep in the things of God and to keep it uncluttered from the worries and the concerns and the things in this chaotic life, then the potential is far more than you could imagine. Colossians 1, 9 and 10 and Dan and the team are going to come back and prepare to lead us on. It says, we ask God, and my prayer for you is this, we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding Then you will always live in a way that honours and pleases the Lord. And your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Let's just bow our heads in prayer for just a moment. Can I just... things that may be responses that you might want to make today first of all there might be some folk here and you've come as a guest you've come into church today and you've never ever understood what it means to completely give your life over to God we'd love to help you today we'd love you to know that Jesus has a great promise for your life an eternal promise beyond this life he wants to come and live within you as the Lord of your life we want to help you in what that looks like and you can come over to here on your right hand side to the prayer team after we finish in just a few minutes and they'll be able to talk to you and pray with you and help you know that simple yet profound step of surrendering your life to God but you may also have picked up something from the simplicity of the words I've spoken that has a deep meaning for your life and you might want to stand with somebody today before you go home and ask them just to pray for you and help you navigate the next step of living that through in your choices again you can come over and meet with somebody on the prayer team and they'll help you. Father thank you that you're promise to us is of a life that is overflowing and abundant that lives in us and through us and I pray for everybody who's listened so well and kindly to the things I've said would continue to listen to your voice as you speak on in their lives that we would have soft deep and clutter free lives that we can receive the seed of what you want to do in us and through us. we pray in Jesus name